Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. Uh, today's scripture comes from Mark 9, 20 through 24. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is the word of the Lord for us today, church. Let me pray before you sit down. Uh, so, Father, Son, Spirit, we uh, pray as we open your word this morning. Can you open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, I thank you for the renewal that people experienced, the thirst and hunger people had for Easter across the world last week. God, pray that we are able to catch a glimpse of what your Spirit is doing right now. Pray this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. You have a seat. This morning, I want to start by asking you the question of, do you remember where you were on October 6th, 2010? Do you remember where you were October 6th, 2010? Now, there are probably some dates that uh, I could throw uh, your way or some moments in life that you could be like, I remember exactly where I was. Uh, if I said, uh, where were you on uh, 9-11, you could probably tell me where you were. Uh, for some of you, maybe the first time that you heard about the pandemic, you could tell me where you were when you heard those words, lockdown. Maybe for some of you, you could tell me where you were during the royal wedding or when the first man touched the moon or when the Berlin Wall fell down, or when the Titanic sank. Okay, now that may have been 1912. Some of you may not have been born yet, okay? But I don't care about that. I want to know, do you know where you were on October 6th of 2010? Does anyone remember what that date was? I'm glad someone asked the question, because I'm going to tell you. This was the day of what they call the Gap Gate controversy okay it was the day where the clothing retailer decided to rebrand its logo and release it to the world the idea was they were going to take the nice simple kind of moody logo and they were going to make it into something that was more appealing in their words more sexy and people lost their minds over it people did not like changing the gap logo people burned their keyboards saying different comments this is just a couple this is a couple looks like the world's going downhill from here okay this is an outrage this is a monstrosity what a disgusting logo someone better be losing their job over this. can you imagine going to your little girl and being like, Sally, I'm so sorry. We're not going to eat tonight because your father changed the logo. In the history of logos, 
It took only six days and thousands of dollars before the clothing retailer changed the logo back to the same logo. Isn't it crazy what people get themselves worked up over? Is it crazy what you get yourself worked up over? I mean, we're talking about in a world where there is 580,000 people who will go to bed tonight without a place to actually lay their head. That every single day, there are 21 geographical land catastrophes that happen in the world. 828 million people may go without a meal today. And there are people in this world that want to have long debates about does a hot dog qualify as a sandwich? How could people misspell the word loose and lose? Is it socially acceptable to speak out loud with your speakerphone in public? For many of us, no. <laughs> For many of us, a bad Wi-Fi day is a bad day all around. Have you ever thought about what happens inside you that you get so fixated and worked up over the smallest things in life? I mean, just this week, I searched, just to test it, the, one of the most trending articles that was happening today was the story of a Costco cake, that someone actually submitted a cake order for a Costco cake, and they said, hey, I want it to look exactly like this, and the bakery made it exactly like this. And people have been losing their minds this week. Why do you lose your mind? I'll tell you this much. I've never once got in a heated debate over world hunger. But I have gotten into several heated debates with my spouse about when a pantry door should or not be shut. Have you ever felt the feeling of passionately caring about something that does not matter and really struggling to care about the things that do matter in the world? I don't know about you, but there are some days uh, where I just wonder, like, is there something wrong with me? That I just care about the most pointless, pointless things, but at the same time, I really struggle to care about the things that matter. Some days I feel like the worries of the world are just too much. I can barely handle my own. And it may be tempting for us to diagnose and say that our mentality maybe is just petty or we're just really self-centered people. But I want to argue to you, you are too complex of a human being for that to be the answer. What if the answer isn't that we are bad people, but that we are people who have a bad case of the mess, of just discontentment with life? There is an instance in uh, the Gospel of Mark where Mark actually tells you a story in which the disciples are extremely worked up. And what they're worked up on actually matters, but it may reveal what happens to every Jesus follower that gets hooked or caught up on things that are smaller. There is 
a son and a father who have come to the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus is coming down the mountain to meet them in this discussion. Here's how Mark begins it, starting in verse 14. Now, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And some of the teachers of the day were arguing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran to greet him. So he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son. He is a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down. He foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out. But they could not do so. In other words, people come to a group of Jesus followers and they say, we came to you who represent the name of Jesus and you could do nothing. I have a mentor that sometimes says that one of the major signs that a Jesus follower has given up fighting darkness is when they start giving in to fighting other people about trivial things. The disciples wrestle. The conversation has moved from the pain of a young boy to perspectives and positions. In many ways, this is the wrestling of any Jesus follower that is coming into the world. In Mark's description, when he talks about the darkness of the condition that the boy experiences, he says it seizes him, it dashes him, he grinds his teeth, and then they're not able to do anything about it. When a couple chapters before this, they were able to do something about it. Do you know what seizes you, dashes you, grinds your teeth, makes you question God's power in the world? There are a number of things that we could just say, we have no way of being able to fix this or change this. I mean, as we come to church today, you can take in a number of things. Cancer, world hunger, conflict, gravesides, job loss, homelessness, wars, mental illness, racism, pandemics, divorce, loan debt, gun violence, abuse, slavery, child soldiers. The world is not without pain and hurt. And one of the things that may put us in a very meh place in life is when we feel like we can't do anything about these things. This is where the beginning of a bad case of the mess start for you. You know, last week I described the state of being of meh. Like, have you ever just felt like you, someone just asked you, like, how are you doing in life? And you're kind of like, meh. You know, like, I'm... I feel just a little bit depressed, feel a little bit despondent, kind of feel like I'm in a dry place in life, kind of defined it like this. That's, that's one definition, is you just feel like that emoji. One definition was the decrease of willpower and way power in engaging life with God. 
It's that state of being where you don't feel terrific, but there's nothing terrible. That you're open to something good, but nothing sounds good. Nothing is wrong in life, but at the same time, life doesn't feel quite right. And in other words, sometimes when you get in a rut in life, it's because we're defeated by the evil that we cannot change ourselves. And when followers of Jesus find themselves discouraged by evil in the world, we get caught up on fighting each other. When we give up fighting darkness, we start fighting each other. So we start fighting and arguing over the smallest things. We start fighting over political camps and policies. We start fighting over what happens for one hour in a room on worship. We start fighting over what is wrong in someone's relationship instead of what someone is trying to do right. We get caught up on what people have done in the past instead of what they're trying to do in the present. And the good news of Jesus Christ that is just dripping with this text is even when you are just in a man kind of state of life. When you want to give up on fighting darkness, Jesus does not give up on you. Jesus is actually patient in the midst of our doubtfulness that God is going to do anything with the things that we cannot change in this world. And I want you to see how Jesus responds in the face of pain and suffering that this boy is going through. Follow with me in verse 21. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into the water and to destroy him. And then the father said, but if you're able to do anything, have pity on us and help us, Jesus said. If you're able, all things can be done for the one who believes. I want you to feel the weight just for a moment with Jesus here. Do you really imagine how this scenario is happening? I want you to be reminded, like, this boy is rolling on the ground, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus is taking time to ask questions. Some of you get uncomfortable when someone's choking on water in the room. This boy is having an episode in front of Jesus, and Jesus is willing to take time to ask a question. I guess one way to put it is Jesus is okay with asking questions in the existence of suffering. I've wondered sometimes if this is what it's like for the second half of following Jesus. You know, in the first half of following Jesus, you walk with Jesus, and there are questions that can be answered. There are things that we learn that are helpful. But there's also the second half of life of following Jesus, where there's questions we have about the world, that there aren't these neat and tidy answers to them. And Jesus takes time to slow down and recognize that there is something happening deeper underneath just the problems in the world. You know, Mark is going to recognize alongside Jesus that 
this boy is under the influence of some authority or spirit of some sort of demonic. That the Bible actually has a worldview that there is stuff that is happening underneath this time. That they're not just people in the world and problems that exist in the world, but there are actually powers and principalities that create problems for people. This is where we hear Paul's words that our battle is not just against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. And Jesus takes time to recognize that there is something overlap between the demonic and the disease that's happening. In our world, we like to separate the two. But in the Hebrew world, in Jesus' world, sometimes there's overlap between the two. And part of the powers that are at work is trying to make you feel powerless. C.S. Lewis once said, there is no neutral ground in the world. Every single inch, every split second is claimed by God. And every single inch is also counterclaimed by the evil one. And when we feel powerless, because these powers are at work in the world, Jesus does step in. But not until Jesus lets us wrestle with it. In verse 22, we find that the Father actually says immediately, I believe you've got to help me with my unbelief. That the father cries out in doubt. He's like, I want to believe that you're doing something. I just am not sure if I can believe that you're actually going to do it or not. In other words, the father doubts that God is going to actively step in. You know, I have found uh, in my own faith journey, uh, it's been really helpful to have some of the framework of doubt that uh, a, a thinker by the name of... Uh, um, and Nizer actually presents of like, there are three kind of levels of doubt that can happen in our lives. And actually, I would argue that there's actually a progression of doubt that can happen in our lives. The first level of doubt is just a philosophical one. These are the questions more of like history, evidence. Why do we know that this Jesus claim is actually true? But then there's a second level. There's the emotional doubts. These are the Wise, hows, these tend to be the more personal pain and suffering that enters our lives. But then there's a third category as well, that there is also volitional doubt in our lives. That sometimes we actually give up on God because we're hurt or we're exhausted or we're angry and no longer motivated to engage God. In other words, we're ready to give up on God. And usually I find that most people, when talking about this progression, get extremely nervous on the third because we think that this is about to be the end. We think that when we reach a place like this, that this is the place of doubt, and from here we exit and we no longer believe in this thing. But one of the things that Jesus shows us is that when we're at a place where we're like, I want to believe, but you got to help me to believe, 
that Jesus actually steps in and says, this isn't necessarily the end. You can actually choose for it to be the beginning. That sometimes when we get to the end of ourselves and our answers, it becomes the beginning of knowing the presence of God in a new way. Yes, it is true that darkness is confusing and it's jarring. But it also is maturing. It reveals something for us. Maybe let me put it to you like this way. Um, everyone growing up kind of had that childhood toy that they really loved. You know, can you imagine what your childhood toy was? Mine. Mine was uh, superior to your childhood toy. Uh, growing up, the thing that I loved playing with the most uh, was my soccer bopper. Okay. Uh, I thoroughly loved my soccer bopper. Uh, this was an only child's dream right here, okay? Didn't have many friends, but this definitely was a friend. I would go around, and I would just soccer bop everything, okay? I'd soccer bop stuffed animals. I'd soccer bop the cat. I'd soccer bop a couple of my mom's lamps. Like, I would go, and I would knock out anything with this soccer bopper. Loved it. Carried it with me everywhere. Annoyed my parents all the time. At one point in my life, I decided it would be a great idea to wait for my father to come home, who he is a police officer. Wait for my father to come home. And I would secretly and surprise attack him, okay, with the soccer bopper. And I remember uh, there was one rule in the house. Uh, there's no rough housing, uh, which I was following that rule. But I waited for my father to come home. And when I jumped out in the hallway to sock him, okay, I went to sock him. And I hit his belt, which had a sharp object in it, and it busted my soccer bopper. Not only did it bust my soccer bopper, it bopped me straight in the face. My lips started bleeding. I fell back. I hit the thermostat, broke the thermostat on the wall, slid down the wall, blood on the wall. And my father just came home. My mom steps out, and she goes, Bert, I told you, no roughhousing in the house. And he was like, I just came home. That's all it was. And I'm just laying there on the wall with a busted soccer bopper. All the air deflated out of the soccer bopper. Mostly I just told you that story for counseling purposes. No, I'm just like. <laughs> I remember when the soccer bopper was deflated, I said, I need to grow up and I need to find something more powerful than just the soccer bopper. All the air let out of it. There are times in your life where the answers that you have will no longer suck whatever darkness you are facing. What may have worked in the past, what power you relied on in the past, may not be the thing that helps move you forward in the future. But when you are defeated by darkness, you have an option to learn of a greater power than the power you've relied on before in your life. One of the moments in the Gospels is literally Jesus feeling overwhelmed by the powers of darkness. And he goes into a garden. And you got to pay close attention to the detail. He goes into the garden and he prays and he says, Father, this is too overwhelming for me. I do not know if I want to take this cup from you. 
Jesus spends a long time at night in the garden. And then finally, at the very end, some of the gospel writers actually tell us that before Jesus gets up and leaves, an angel actually comes and strengthens him. Now, I want you to think about the order of those events. If Jesus is wrestling with darkness, why doesn't the angel come earlier? The angel comes later. And a decent amount of people have listened to that story through the ages and have actually said that when Jesus empties himself of all of his strength, that is when he's ready to receive more from the Father. In other words, when we're spent in our human strength, that's when we're ready for the divine power to flow through us. When you are spent, when you are empty, you are ready to be filled with a greater power. And sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes there's nights where you have to cry, I want to believe you are working. I'm struggling to believe you are working. And you must open yourself up to God and say, I need strength I can't muster by myself. Can I receive your power and your strength? And when Jesus does that, it kind of looks like this. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and he lifted him up. And he was able to stand. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast this demon out? And he said to them, this kind can only happen through prayer. When people look at the boy when Jesus first hit, they're literally like, he's dead. And Jesus actually heals this boy. But he also heals the sight of the father and the sight of the disciples. Because he says, you need access to my power. And this response would have been dumbfounding to the disciples. Anyone with healing back in the day would know it's all about technique. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not technique. It's about prayer and intimacy with God that is ongoing, that is relying on his strength more than your own. So I guess the question I'm asking today is, are you tired? Are you tired of relying on your own strength? Are you tired of trying to convince yourself to keep moving forward with God? Are you tired in the marriage? Are you tired of knowing what next to do with the kids? Are you tired of trying to make your job life-giving in the moment? Are you tired of fighting that addiction? Are you tired of trying to make things happen for yourself? The good news of Jesus is that it's not about technique. You're not missing something or doing something wrong. The good news of Jesus is not technique but an empty tomb. For many of us who are fixers, we have to remind ourselves that the empty tomb is the claim of the power that we tap into. Scriptures tell us that it's not God who raises Jesus from the dead. It is the Spirit of God that raises Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus promises 
the Holy Spirit and His power. The nickname is literally the advocate, the helper, who can help us in the midst of the pain and the suffering we face to move forward. You ever just been in one of those social settings where uh, they ask you icebreaker questions and you just hate, you hate icebreaker questions? One of the ones that I despise is uh, people ask, like, what's your spirit animal? You know, like, what, what's, what's the animal that embodies you? I'm like, oh, brother, where's the back door when I get this question? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad answers to this question. Uh, if your spirit animal is an ant, you need to rethink life. If your spirit animal is a dung beetle, you need more creativity. If your spirit animal is a sloth, you need to come see someone after service. You know what I think a lot of Christians settle for their spirit animal to be? Eeyore. For some weird reason, we've made wallowing, being disgruntled, being caught up on small things, saying why bother is being a mature follower of Jesus. And the news of Jesus says, your spirit animal does not have to be an Eeyore. You do not have to walk around life just asking why bother or why does it matter. In the face of darkness, why bother? It bothers because it bothers God. It bothers God so much so that Jesus actually stepped out of that garden, the garden you and I left, the garden of full unity with God, Jesus actually stepped away from that garden to be able to enter across to experience darkness and defeat that darkness. Jesus died alone on the cross so you would not go through darkness alone and you would not rely on your own power trying to go through darkness alone. You have His power. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is still raising hearts and minds today. And you can access that power from the Spirit. You know, did you catch at the very end of verse 17? When people actually address uh, Jesus, they actually said, you know, teacher, I brought you my son, which if you're paying close attention to the text, that ain't true. Jesus is up on the mountain when they bring the boy to Jesus. Jesus would not there receiving the boy. But one of the implied things about it is that if someone comes to a disciple of Jesus, it's just like coming to Jesus. That there's implied the power and strength of knowing God that Jesus knows is also available to us. You know, in the words of the New Testament, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are raised with Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can be raised in Jesus Christ. You can put Him on in baptism. You can plunge yourself into water. You can have your sins cleansed. You can have life and access to a strength you never knew was even possible. But for the saints at Round Rock who are in Jesus Christ, you need to hear this morning that not only has Jesus Christ raised you up, but Paul actually says He's raised you up to the heavens, to the throne of Jesus, which actually means that you have power 
and authority to be able to claim to powers of darkness, you cannot have a hold of me here. Jesus being raised from the tomb. I don't know where you are this morning, church. I'm right here, though. Jesus being raised from the tomb means that there are no limits to God breaking in and changing things that we think can never be changed. Now and forever. Amen? So, Lord, God, some of us are tired and we don't even know how tired we are. Lord, some of us need your spirit, your breath to blow through our lives. God, for some of us, we're in such a deep and hard headspace this morning that we struggle to see how you are working and the ways that you are active. Jesus, we believe. Can you give us the strength to help us in our unbelief? God, when we face the addiction, when we face the boss, when we face another argument in our marriage, when we face that conflict that we're in, Lord, can we have some of your strength to be able to continue in your name and declare that the powers and evil and principality has no place over our lives? We pray this in your name.